Achievement unlocked. Two players and a podcast now loaded. Dreamers and Flam family, this is Two Peas in a Pod, brought to you by General Andrews and Liberty Flam. And we are sponsored by the 8-Bit Dojo and ESN, where we aim to be selfless, not selfish. Also today with us, our guest, Dr. McLife, will be joining. This is episode 18 of season 3, Healthy Ways We Show Respect. All right. And today, once again, we are honored to have Dr. McLive with us. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous my friends lovely to be back i'm honored that you invited me to attend the podcast again it was wonderful to do it once and to do it twice i i, I feel real special how are you guys doing it's just good to have you back again the first one was great now now a second time it's unheard of yes, yes. did you know we're gonna put this out there you're only the second guest ever to have a repeat appearance on the show that's, that's well, how much we like you. We like that's you. a lot of twos going on, and I like that. If anyone out there who loves their math all lining up, I'm just saying it's it's pretty good. It's pretty sweet. Well, I am. It's my it's my pleasure to be back, friends. This is you guys have a good thing going with this podcast, and uh, having the opportunity to chat with you guys on it is lovely. Well, let's talk about a good thing going. It seems like you yourself have a really good thing going with what we talked about the last time you were on a little bit about how your show is, you know, game sessions with a therapist. And you've done a really, really cool job of bringing in the gameplay, the game's dialogue into teachable moments. How did that just, did, is that just intrinsically a part of you? Or did you feel once you saw it, you're like, actually, I think I can do something with this. So I, um, it's sort of interesting to think about, like I, so I've been playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which has been, uh, which Mass Effect is a, it's very near and dear to my heart. I, I, it's, this is actually my 10th time going through the trilogy. <laughs> oh my even, goodness. E, even though I'm, I'm playing it as if it's my first. So that's been actually kind of fun to reflect my acting chops, trying to make sure that it seems like I'm playing it for the first time. But I, Mass Effect is a game that I always if so like i when I, I knew what twitch was a long time ago and i used to think like man mass effect would be a really fun game to play and like talk to people about because when you ask if that's how my brain works like yeah so okay. whenever i watch tv shows or movies or play video games or there's anything where there's any kind of relationship dynamic or you know complexity to the characters involved and the various dynamics and interactions they have my brain's always on analyzing that stuff and trying to connect it to things that I've learned through my nine years of being a therapist and the nine years I was in school and all that stuff. So Mass Effect is, as I'm sure both of you know, a very in-depth game with some fabulous writing. Oh, yes, and with a, so and good. with a lot of um, a lot of characters and dynamics that make sense. One of the right. things that I really have to give Bioware a lot of credit for on that is that the way that many of the characters are written in terms of their backstory and their like, convictions and stuff is very realistic and makes sense. So mm -hmm. it makes it easier for me to analyze. Yeah. So I, in a lot of ways, what I wanted to do when I started streaming was be able to have accessible conversations about 
stuff, uh, like psychology and mental health. And it, as we were talking about even before we started this, like a lot of people have played Mass Effect. It's been out for a long time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people already have an existing understanding and emotional connection to some of the characters and the storylines. And so being able to sit there and play the game and then pause through the dialogue and through some of the things that happen and then put a, you know, my therapist spin on it and yeah. use that as a very approachable and observable way to see certain concepts and have me talk through them. I've been, it's been picking up a lot of traction. People on TikTok seem to really enjoy them. Uh, that some of the, sometimes I'll post them on Twitter and people enjoy them as well there. And it's picked up a little bit of a following there of, of people who are saying things like, whoa, I, I really relate to this. This, I've never thought of it this way, or this adds a new layer to my appreciation of the game. And it's been a blast to be able to like talk about things like, say, disorganized attachment with Jack and have people go, whoa, like I, you know, I, I've no, I don't, I've never known what attachment is or i've had some idea of what attachment is but it's cool to see it in in the flesh here in the game yeah. and to have somebody analyze it as it's happening and i yeah. i love doing it it's 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 no different than if i was to walk outside and say oh it's 102 degrees outside and it's hot uh yeah, it's right. just yeah. like it it just comes naturally to be able to talk about that stuff so it's been really cool to watch people enjoy that well, I also think it's really cool because you just discussed the fact that this is, you know, your your tenth time through playing the trilogy. And mm -hmm. so you've you you've you've played a lot of hours into this. Other individuals have added different types of content throughout the years of its existence that you can still find something else that adds to this you know, glorious, let's call it a pile. I want a better, prettier word, yeah. but we're, we'll call it a pile. You know, it's all, That's it's still good. pretty yeah. folks. Just roll with me. Sure. You know, and you are still able to add to it where people are like, wow, this series is just getting better. I didn't even consider looking at it like that or understanding the depth of these characters because the writing is so well because a lot of games where you get the the choice to choose, okay, I'm going to pick one of these four answers, three answers, yeah. two answers. Yeah. Usually, one is the right choice and the other one they give you some kind of blow off answer and yeah. the, the third one really will, will kind of loop you into some weird some weird loop that doesn't really give you much anyways but the good the ones that have the good writing now like what you just did with this you've made it something where people's i like to say is their defenses are down to be educated yeah and you know i owe a little bit of the format of it of late and how I've been handling Mass Effect uh, to Skyrim, actually. I played Skyrim on stream a while back. And uh, for, I guess, for a little bit of history, way back. So I started streaming in late September 2018. And early 2019, I played through Detroit Become Human. Mm, and that's a good one at the time. At the time, I was still, I mean, I was still pretty small, right? Like I was averaging maybe 20 people watching me every night. And it was this dedicated group. And it was really awesome. And then when I was doing Detroit, I noticed that my numbers were higher. Like there were more people watching. Like I, I would be like up in like the 60s uh, at certain points. And I, I at the time did not really have the contextual understanding of like my, my spot in the streamer space to understand oh. why that was happening. I thought it was just that people really liked the game. And I, the difference was that that one, I spent more time analyzing the choices that I was making 
of like, here's why I'm choosing to do this. And a lot of that, mm -hmm. a lot of Detroit is very reactionary. Uh, I don't know if either of you have played it, but it's, it's, you have a lot of quick time events and you don't yeah. have a lot of time to make your decisions. It's not like and Mass Effect where you get it's to not like sit Mass and Effect. wait, right? And analyze right. your choice. Like, it's not like you have the book and you're reading through <laughs> right. it. It's you're, right, you're exactly. watching the movie and clicking where to go. So you have to be very quick. And I, I, so I would talk about decisions I'd made in hindsight, but it was, it was mostly like me centric in there. Like, why is, why is Dr. Mick playing these characters the way that he is? Mm. And I then sort of shifted off of, I finished it. Regret, regretfully, I only have the first six episodes of that recorded. I lost the second half of that game just to the ether. Yep, yep, that happens. But, uh, but what, so long story short, basically, I went off of playing story games for quite some time. And then every once in a while, I, I'd play something like I played Firewatch and um, I played. Um, Death Stranding, but Death Stranding doesn't have a huge amount of depth. But I no. noticed that like people seem to be more interested in the stream when I was doing those things. So fast forward to Skyrim, and it kind of clicked for me that instead of paying a whole bunch of attention to the decisions that I was making, which I mean, I suppose are interesting in and of themselves, I started to take a look at how we might conceptualize the characters that we're interacting with and what it says about them in how they are choosing to engage with me. And Shepard is a relatively blank slate in Mass <laughs> Effect. I mean, you pick, you pick a little bit of backstory, but yeah, it doesn't actually matter that it's much. It's not huge. So when you come across these characters, particularly in 2, where uh, you really get to uh, like look at some backstory of the characters, I, I've just sort of naturally been able to you know, look at an interaction that I have with Jack or something that, or another character or something that happens out in the environment and say, you know what, this is where my brain goes. Like if this person or this thing was sitting in my therapy room, or if I was teaching about a concept and this was the illustration that I had chosen for a class, like say it was a video clip I had chosen for class. What mm -hmm. is it that I would teach students using this clip? Usually it goes the other way. Usually it's like, what do I want to teach? And then you go to find the clip. And this one is somebody's like, it's it's like if you threw a clip at me and you said, all right, Dr. Mick, use everything you've learned and everything you know from being a therapist to analyze where why this might be the way that it is. And then I just said, all right, well, why don't I make that sort of a running dialogue with the game and then act as if it's my first time interacting with them? Because the the the, the secret sauce in that is I know already what's happening in the game. Yeah. And I know what all the options are. So I can spend more time in these interactions thinking about the concepts that are going on as opposed to reacting to what's happening in the game. Because I already know where that's going and why that person ticks that way and what the direction of it is. So I sit there and I think, okay, cool. So like listen to this conversation and really listen to the process of this conversation and let's make this an educational moment. And, you know, people are drawn to it, and it's been a lot of fun. And that was a very long-winded answer, but that's kind of what goes into <laughs> the what I do in these games. And it's actually started a channel shift for me where I'll play Destiny offline now, but I mostly am now doing these story-type games and trying to bring these concepts in in this kind of approachable way. And I think I've kind of found a nice sweet spot with my channel as a result. 
And I do think it's a very sweet spot because literally that's what came to this topic for today's uh, podcast was that back mm-hmm. in May, uh, you, you made a great tweet uh, about, uh, you know, certain parents expecting respect from their children. Mm-hmm. So, and that I'm not, I can't remember if that was specifically from Mass Effect because that was about early May, I want to say, or if that happened to come from, from a Skyrim. Skyrim. Okay, from Skyrim. And... Uh, so can could you elaborate on why this is either good, bad, or at least not the way things should be handled in that dynamic? Yeah, so a little, it's interesting, because even though I was playing Skyrim, that tweet actually came, or that video clip, I suppose, actually mm-hmm. came from a question from chat. So, I mean, I, I answer questions from chat, and we had gotten on some kind of conversation about parenting, and I, I don't remember how we got there. Okay. But what... What was brought up was this idea of parents demanding respect from their children just because they are parents. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. it got me on a little bit of a soapbox, and that Mm -hmm. soapbox is currently sitting at almost 600,000 views on TikTok. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Nice soapbox. It's a very uh, polarizing video. Actually, a more, more polarizing idea than i had imagined uh it has been fascinating to read comments on that video but uh the the idea behind it was something that i see all the time both i've seen this in my personal life not for my own parents but i've seen this in my personal life and i've seen this time and time again clinically uh and through supervising uh many students over time that there's at times a an expectation that a child will respect their parents just because the parents provide the basic necessities of life. And my right. argument in that tweet or in that video, I shouldn't call it a tweet because it's on all different platforms. Uh, the, the, my argument in that video was simply that if you're a parent, you sign up to provide the basics to yes. your kids. When you make the decision to have a child. Yes, correct. Yep. And there is a difference between gratitude and respect. And I think what's happened, I think some of the polarization in this clip, in the comments has been people thinking that I'm saying kids shouldn't be grateful for what their parents provide. And that is not what I'm saying. If you have, yeah. if you have the ability, you know, if your parents are able to, or guardians for those who okay, yeah, you know, don't live with their parents necessarily, like if your guardian is providing you food and shelter and water and, you know, your clothes and education, you know, all the basic things we would call basic necessities, Correct. you can teach your children to be grateful for those things. Yes. Like you, you can say like, look, there are, there are kids out there that don't have this. There are, there are adults out there who have never had this. Yeah. yeah. And when things like this are afforded to you, rather than taking these things for granted, we can express a form of gratitude and appreciation for the things that we have because these things can be fragile. You know, these things go mm-hmm. away if all of a sudden we lose our job or whatever, right? Right. But what some parents do is they take what they're giving their children and they are giving them these things they, mm-hmm. they take them and they say to their kids both actively and passively they will demand respect from their children just because they provide those things Correct. and i think respect is something that is 
earned, which I know is a cliche, but it's true. I think respect is something that's earned even in the direction of child to parent. And Absolutely. that if you if you demand respect from people, that generally means that you're already in a one down position as it relates to respect. Like, I, I, I don't think respect is ever something that needs to be demanded if it's actually applicable to a given situation, because right. I have, you know, for example, I respect the two of you. Mm -hmm. And you've never demanded that of me. Yeah. I have respect for the both of you because of the way that you treat me in our interactions, the way that you hold yourselves, you know, on your streams or otherwise. Like, I just have an immense amount of respect for you by virtue of how you have interacted with me and from what I have observed in you. Oh. Whereas, and likewise. Like, yeah, and so, like, if you guys came to me, like, let's say, you know, you, you come into my, you come into my stream Let's say you raid me or something, or I raid you. It, it works a little bit more like if you raid me, and then you go like, hey, man, like, I don't understand why you didn't take two minutes to acknowledge me and tell people about my community. Don't you know who I am? Have some respect. Right. Right. <laughs> I, it's like, I mean, all right. I, I, I appreciate it, but, like, really? Yeah. And so, you know, mm -hmm. when you have... When you have parents, particularly where there's a lot of power, you know, to bring it back to that dynamic, because this is the one that gets people all riled up, is like when you have yeah. that dynamic, your kids, first of all, don't have a developmental understanding of the concept of respect. Respect exactly. is a very complex yeah. idea. It, it comes along with it a bunch of nuance. It, it, it takes into account environmental factors. It takes into account relativity. It takes into account an ability, a, a person's ability to recognize the relativity of a given dynamic they have with one person in the context of others like there's so much that goes into respect and so if you have like a five-year-old kid and you say you should respect me because i've given you these things a kid doesn't really want to have the understanding of like well a parent's supposed to provide those things to the best right. of their ability and they don't understand that like like why is this being demanded of me when if you were to throw this, if you were to throw me out to the wolves and not provide these these things for me, I wouldn't survive. Like humans are helpless until they're like, I, I mean, well, I mean, there's uh, a lot of degrees of resiliency where little kids can get by. But like yeah. for the most part, you're not a five year old kid who's grown up with most of their needs met. If you throw them out to the wolves is not going to know what to do. Right. Like it, it's yes. so. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. assume. The TLDR on the whole thing is basically like you can teach your kids gratitude. You can teach kids to appreciate the things around them and to take the time to express that appreciation when they recognize that something has been brought to them. And that can include food, water, shelter, etc. But if you move yourself into a space where that is becomes the mechanism through which you grab power and demand respect, you are getting into some really dicey territory where all of a sudden I'm going to look at you and say, you know, your kid did not ask to be born. Thank you. They did not. They did not have any say in whether they arrived on this planet. That's between you know you and the the person or group that you chose to talk about having this kid with, or where you I mean even if you accidentally had the child, you still did the things and are responsible for what brought the kid in. You signed up for this. Your kids, it's not a bi-directional thing. Your kids don't have mm -hmm. to like you. Your kids don't your kids don't even have to love you. They are under no obligation to do these things. But they will be more likely to do those things 
if you meet their not just their day-to-day needs but some of their emotional needs and you model a degree of respect and appreciation for them that's how you're going to get respect from your kids not by demanding it just because they're there and because you're doing your job Absolutely. and i'm glad you i'm glad you say that specificity of you know and then doing your job because really a child does not choose to come into this world they just that's the happenstance of science and the miracle of life right is sure. that <laughs> that's how it happens and now the kid is now stuck in a situation where you have to literally provide for or the kid's not like you said not going to survive in, in most circumstances right that we know there there are some resiliencies that are amazing and and bless them great job sure but you, you can't accept Expect that because the math points in the direction that doesn't do that, <laughs> and so that's always been yeah. it's always been very important to me because I hear a lot of people's dynamics and a lot of their stress comes from the fact that they they love their parents so much and they feel that the love that they have had and the love and gratitude that that would have been the respect that it should have been shown, but for some it's not because mm-hmm. they're the parent, and I felt that that power struggle and that dynamic leads to many other things that are you know creating incorrect perspective shifts again i don't know that i'm not a therapist these are just my personal you know watchings and, and observations over the years where it's just like why would you want to do that to your child why do you want your child to feel indebted to you well i think i think you have to look at that as it's so it's it's interesting because you have to you have to look at these things. This is what I you know spent a lot of time in school being trained to do because I don't think we I don't think we think of these things innately in a systemic way. Mm, okay. And I I think looking at this in a systemic way helps make a little bit more sense out of that. So there is we tend to talk about the parent child dynamic as child has need, parent meets need. Yeah. Right. Especially as we're talking about, like, again, basic necessities of living. But we also talk about emotional needs, right? Like we talk about, like, how does your child how do you respond to your child emotionally when your kid mm-hmm. scrapes their knee? What do you do if your kid goes through their, you know, their first crush? How do you handle it? Yada, yada. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But th- that doesn't mean that parents don't have needs. You know, like, so yeah. so the difference is parents at this point have very likely moved to a point where they are self-sustaining to some extent on you know their job and like they they can put food on the table for themselves and they they for the most part have those needs met right so we're not looking at necessarily a parent now certainly there are impoverished families where that is absolutely the case right like i'm not trying to throw that out but for the most part like a parent an adult has gotten through and has enough developmental understanding of like how to get needs needs met or at least how to like look for them that like that's not something that has to be taken care of anymore necessarily in the way that a child's does yeah but that doesn't change that parents also have emotional needs and what sometimes what parents will do naturally i don't this isn't something that they do intentionally per se mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is they will download a bit of their own identity and self-worth into the successes of their children and into the way in which their children show up in the world and there is a level of insecurity in being a parent that I think a lot of parents will tell you it has been present for them because nobody really tells you how to do it. So there's an emotional insecurity as it relates to like, am I a good parent? Am I doing a good job? This is a piece of my identity that I want to be successful. 
and I want people to be able to look at me and say like, oh, that person's a good parent. I want my children, my child to look at me and say, hey, that was a good, I was a good parent. However, it is that that parent conceptualizes it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, then what happens is sometimes parents will seek reassurance for those very adult concepts and understanding of how you show up to that dynamic. They will seek reassurance from their children. Uh -huh. And they will look for their child to reinforce for them that they are a good parent. Well, your, your child doesn't have a breadth of diverse representation of parenting to know whether you are a good parent or not. They judge your good parenting on whether their own needs are met in a very egocentric way, and that is developmentally appropriate. Like children, by definition, are selfish yeah. because they have to be they have to be and they don't know you have to teach self selflessness you have to teach being deferential like kids kids know that like you come out as an infant and you say i'm hungry so i'm gonna cry because damn it i'm hungry and i need food and i need to survive heck yeah so yeah. so what happens is parents get very insecure about these things and then they will start demanding certain things of their kids and so i think sometimes the demand for respect is not necessarily like a i need your respect it's i need reassurance and reinforcement that i am the power figure here and that you recognize that and it becomes a level of validation that parents are looking for from their kids that your kids don't owe you it's never your child's job to tell you that you're a good parent. I will tell you, though, that if you are a good parent, when your kids get older, they will tell you that. Uh, yeah, true. I, you very, know, like I tell true. my parents all the time, like, Same. Exactly. Same I'm grateful for how you raised me. You oh guys did an goodness. awesome job. Like, like, thank you for all you provided for and, me and, and all these things, right? They did. They did. God, I, it, I, we get them across. Okay. Sorry. That's I what I think. Sure. Like, I just feel so lucky every single time. I'm like, God, yeah, I'm so, yeah, I'm so right? glad that I had the parents that I had. To have good parents is a blessing. Well, so when I work <laughs> clinically with parents and, I, and I'm because I, I'm I do therapy with parents frequently, mm -hmm. even though I am not a parent. One of the things that I sometimes have to tell parents is, look, this is a thankless job for now. Like if you do the right things and you show up to these parenting, uh, to your parenting role in the way that is ideal and that you don't have these, you know, expectations of your children, that your expectation is that you will show up for your kids to the best of your ability and support them in the ways that you can and teach them the things that are important to you. Respect necessary, maybe being one of those things, but you have to teach that. You can't just expect it. If you do those things, if you hang in there, I can promise you when they get to maybe late teens, probably early 20s, mm -hmm. there is going to be a day where you're going to have a conversation with them and they're going to look at you as the adults that they are, finally having a contextual understanding of how they were raised relative to other people once they have broadened their horizon, yeah. <laughs> where they will look at you and say, you know what, thank you. You did a damn good job and I'm really appreciative of it. And at that point, that is the kind of respect and appreciation that's going to feel awesome because Absolutely. now you have your adult yeah. child who now has a choice of whether they're going to tell you these things they don't have to do that coming right. to you on their own volition telling you i really appreciate the way that you raised me and it was really meaningful and i now understand the sacrifices that you made as a parent because now i have the ability developmentally to understand that i have an abstract conceptualization 
of a parent-child dynamic that I never had when I was a child because my brain's not capable of that. Well, now that it is, yeah. God damn, you guys did a great job. Right. Thank you. God, uh, it's so good was, because yeah, let's keep going. Oh, I was like, I think that was the biggest thing, at least for me, and I think my brother too. Growing up, was that our, both my mom and my dad never gave us any expectations at all or anything. They're like, hey, go to school, do your work like anything else besides that whatever you want to do do it like you want to be a video game designer go be a video game designer or like <laughs> if you want to go and listen the army for a year or two go and listen the army for a year or two that's what my brother did so like it was it was just really mm -hmm. really nice to kind of let we, we were able to be kids which i think a lot of people don't get to do well I, that's so good that you bring that the whole kids thing up that i'll interject real quick here yeah no go for it growing up in an affluent area that I am, you know, and be, being a, a white individual also in an affluent area, is that the simple fact I had a lot of other friends from different cultures that they, I always felt so sad for them that like when I came over to ask them to play, they would always be, not always, but most of the time was always met with the idea of, no, 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 they have to get this work done. Okay, well, when, when, when so when can, when can they play? <laughs> it'd be like an every other day thing where you now you start feeling bad because now you feel like they're gonna get in trouble because you keep coming over to ask to play and whatnot and it's just one of those things i feel that there's it's so tough to the understanding of letting them go on their own but you could still kind of help them in their direction you know but yeah with this, this uh, for indi certain individuals getting a very high demand of no 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 you're going to be a doctor a lawyer you're going to or something of yeah. that nature versus oh you want to do that okay good i fully support you on that but you got to work hard to do it it doesn't just come to you and that to me i always felt was a fair dynamic that came from my side of mm -hmm. you know my, my 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 father for example uh was just that he's like that's what you want to do okay good now go do it sure right you can't i couldn't just say it I need to go do yeah, it. Yeah, I know. You have to really go make it happen. You yeah. actually have to, like, create a plan. Correct. Correct. Well, and I think maybe, I think there are two things that uh, are underneath a bit of this conversation here mm. that we're having that I think very much play a role in probably the diverse perception of this conversation, like to anybody who's listening to this. Right. Uh, the first okay. one being generational differences. True. Which, and I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and go, okay, boomer. For those that are worried no. about it, but like, there's, but there are generational, there are generational differences that make a big difference here, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. And the other thing is culture. Yes. So yes. Uh, there is a, I, you know, when we talk about respect, there are cultural differences around the concept of respect. There, there, there are certain certain cultures that would say respect is something that is, it's there until revoked or it's there because of certain things and that like age or whatever it is and i think it's important to recognize that that like i i do you know i'm also a white dude i grew up in a relatively affluent area despite my parents not being affluent um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like you know i you know, i take all the boxes of privilege yeah. that you know to talk about respect is something that is you know earned and all these things from a parent-child dynamic is it is in a lot of ways a very white conversation to have fair. and totally um and so there is there are there are absolutely these you know cultural and generational differences and I, I think you know to speak a little bit to maybe my experience and i have a sense that maybe the two of you probably had a similar experience because we're similar in age mm -hmm. uh 
and you know we're three white dudes sitting here talking about this it's yeah exactly yes, um I cannot hide you know this. one of the things that i think is a marker of the really the millennial generation um and people that like us that you know kind of grew up in the 90s was we we i remember growing up with that idea the flip that you were talking about where it was like you can do whatever you yeah. want to do mm -hmm. right like like you, we we value you as a person if you you are you are special yeah, and exactly. we right. we want you to we want you to achieve your dreams uh i think a lot of um a lot of boomer and gen x parents had parents who didn't give a shit about those things who basically yes. were like yeah. you <laughs> we, because their parents grew up in the depression and shit like that exactly. and so like I, you right. know my parents talk all the time about how like like you know their parents would say you know, like you know you need to you got to you got to get as much as you can get because you never know when it's going to be taken away from you yeah. and uh, i don't really care about your emotional well-being i care about your financial stability and I care about like you being able to just be a contributing member to society, whatever that may mean. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think a lot of Boomer and Gen X parents did not particularly enjoy that from their own parents. There was not necessarily a lot of emotional warmth from their mm. parents. And so a lot of parents in these in the Boomer and Gen X generation said, I'm not going to do that to my children. I'm not going to fight in front of my kids like my parents did. I'm not going to make these demands of them. I don't want to be a parent that rules by fear. So I'm mm -hmm. going to be a parent that validates who you are and tries to create a support system so you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. And so the message that we learn growing up is you can do anything if you work hard at it and you, we will, you will be supported emotionally along the way. And then, you know, when the cold reality of life happens uh, for for us millennials <laughs> and we we say, uh, um, well, uh, now I realize that I was told to go to college because that was equated with financial stability, not with learning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that uh, I now have gone to school for nine years and I'm strapped with hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, yeah. of debt. And um I can you know, draw. certainly my education helps things, but like, <laughs> I I don't I don't make a lot of money. Uh, like, <laughs> like I, I can draw was a really happen. pretty circle. I can draw a really pretty you know? circle in perspective. How <laughs> does this help me somewhere? Do I get lots of money for this somewhere? I'm really good at proofreading. Like, yeah, but, really good. Right. <laughs> like I can. You know what? I don't. I, I'm paycheck to paycheck, but man, can I write an APA style? <laughs> Holy um, shit! Look at you. You know, like oh, I have, and it's crazy because you, you know you see a lot of like doctoral students and postdoc um, people who like you know can't find a job or are you know yeah. are, can barely make ends meet and stuff like this. That's a whole other tangent. But I think so. I, this is a very long way of trying to make the point that like when you get these generational differences, one of the things that gets lost in this is that. We didn't have the understanding of the context our own parents grew up in. And yeah. so when you hear this idea that millennials are entitled, which we hear all the time, yep. uh, and that I think is part of what got some people frustrated with my video about the respect is earned thing, mm -hmm. is that there are people that would say, it was even in the comments that, 
here's this guy who probably lives in his parents' basement who is saying that he's entitled to all of these things, yada, yada, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, first of all, no, so it was like, no, I, what, <laughs> like, what I'm saying is that we've, we've been told that we could, that we can do these things. We've been told that, that respect and it is earned that you should keep people around you that support you. And there becomes this very interesting resentment in the direction of people who didn't have that, AKA some of these older generations. And I know I'm making broad, there's always an exception. Like there's gonna yeah. be plenty of people who listen to this always, and go, well, I didn't have that experience. I understand sweeping that. Sweeping like, gestures. We yeah. have, we have uh, like, research and things that have shown this to be the case like generational differences right. is something that people actually write about and study so i like i'm not just shooting from the hip here <laughs> there's a You're good though either way there's yeah. a there's a resentment then that happens because now all of a sudden all of the emotional support that i have been i have been provided to me by you know my parents and all of the necessities that have been provided to me by my parents that my parents were told you absolutely have to provide to your children in order to be a good parent now is when that reassurance comes in i have grown up with a completely different understanding of these things than my own parents did and that my parents have come to conceptualize as parents and so the demand of respect for these things is a communication it's a communication and meaning misfire and ah. the only thing that we can really use to explain that as i'm doing right now is development okay. that you only know what you know and what you have been able to observe and what has been brought i didn't grow up with parents who went through the great depression my parents did so for me i you know one of the things that i loved growing up was having uh, I loved wearing Jordan tennis shoes, like whatever Michael Jordan was wearing, I needed, needed to have them. Right. And I was blessed that my parents were able to, for the most part, provide that. Right. Like I didn't get every Jordan shoe, but when I yeah. needed new shoes, I got Air Jordans. And if you did, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but here's the thing is right now, you know, we have to illustrate, like we have to think about this developmentally. Right. Mm -hmm. I like Air Jordans. I think Michael Jordan is badass. I want Jordans. My parents say to themselves, we would love to provide this for our kid. We have the means to be able to provide this to him. So we're going to. Now, my parents have a whole breadth of understanding of what it means to be able to provide me with Air Jordans, right? Uh -huh. My parents know that they work hard, that they you know, busted their asses to do what they had to do. They, they were very careful in planning to have me. They, 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 they made sure they were financially stable before they brought me around because they wanted to make sure that they could provide these things, right? So that like, mm -hmm. instead of it just being necessities, we can provide some of these fun things. Right. I, on the other hand, as a seven-year-old kid who loves Michael Jordan and has his parents say yes when he asks for Jordans, think, well, shit, I should, I mean, I have no understanding of that. Like, I uh, cool. I, I say I want Jordans. I get Jordans. <laughs> yeah. I just asked for it. And That's a good it. deal. That's literally it. I love Michael Jordan. I want his shoes. I ask my parents for those shoes. My parents say, yes, 
you can have those shoes. So I am going to think to myself, well, yeah, anytime I want Air Jordans, I'm going to tell my mom and dad I want Jordans because yeah. it works. I, it's been reinforced. It's been rewarded. <laughs> and and so I, you know, to sort of conclude this, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things is when people say, you know, oh, here's the, this is the everybody gets a trophy generation. Yeah. <laughs> I always I always rebut that by saying who gave us the trophies. Right. Right. Like you have to think about these things systemically. So th that's that's my point. And I think why it's hard sometimes for people to wrap their brains around some of the you know videos that I'll put out in this case, this polarizing parenting video is, and I always have to remind myself of this, and this isn't me saying I'm better than thou. It's just that it's the point is that people don't learn to think systemically like this. Correct. They learn to think mm -hmm. linearly yeah. mm -hmm. and to see things as one direction, whereas you have multiple forces as a given point in time colliding and you have, sure, you have everybody getting a trophy, but you have people giving the trophies out. You could just as easily have said, no, you don't get a trophy because you lost. You don't get one for getting second place. And sure, that might cause some emotional distress for your kid. But at the same time, like if you want to teach a lesson of not everybody gets a trophy, you can't give everybody a trophy. We don't have an understanding of that. So that's the push-pull. Like you have to take into account context and environmental differences, generational differences, cultural differences. All these things collide into these moments where you have these parenting moments where a parent demands respect from their kid and their kid doesn't understand how to make sense. And I'm actually glad you brought up the whole systematic thing because that's actually what I want to jump into next. Also building off of what we've just been talking about. So you were part of the institution, so to speak, right? The the systematic part of education, uh, learning yep. and, you know, from a school aspect. Um, but now from my perspective going through the years, you know, getting my degree and everything at San Diego State, and again, not in therapy, um, but there was a lot of this negative energy from a lot of professors and the same idea, again, of a much expecting this respect and yet, like, nothing's even been provided. I, I've shown up to sit down in the class, and it's already weird. Mm -hmm. So in this space, what's the healthy way to even compartmentalize this, to handle this? Because, you know, again, it, it feels like a very power structure situation it is. Uh, that's coming into play here. And, and again, I, being I've done, I've done teaching before, not in a professor standpoint, but in where you want to maintain, you know, some kind of composure so that, therefore, those you're teaching know, okay, cool, we're going to be attentive. But now you're talking. When I'm talking about at that age, you're a little bit older. You, you, hopefully, en enough people understand enough to be, you know, good human beings in an, a small, packed environment like that. Why does the dichotomy, the, the the situation, continue to be again very heavy expectation and then giving none of their own respect back? The ones that did, though, let me tell you, those were the professors I learned the most from. Doctor McTake, away. Oh, absolutely. Um... Oh man, you're you're hitting me with some good ones tonight, man. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna give you the simplest explanation yeah, first, I it. think, um, because yeah, for those who are listening and don't know this, um, I was a assistant. I was a clinical assistant professor of psychology at Northwestern uh, for a while. I, I I resigned that position summer of 2019 to go into private practice, but I was in the academic bubble. I I would I would include my at least my internship year of my doctoral program probably even my second year of my doctoral program because i was teaching at that point mm. um but i i was i was i think essentially in academia for about four years and i taught both undergraduate and graduate students so 
this answer doesn't just come from my own experience as a student. It comes from being on the other side of it. That's awesome. And, and from, and not to, this isn't to toot my own horn so much as to make a point about where I'm coming from with this as a professor who was very highly rated. Um, I, I received very high ratings from students in the classes that I taught both undergrad and graduate. And so the, the, and I actually, my dissertation was about how to facilitate meaningful learning experiences for students. <laughs> and I, my whole jam academically was about how to have great encounters in education. So like this, the, I just, I, I, I add a, this context so that people aren't like, who the hell is this kid who's yeah, just who's talking about oh, Like, no, like I literally studied this, my dissertations about it. Okay. Cat, this guy's not serious. Yeah, right. <laughs> so my dissertation, I spent hours writing a dissertation about this. So there is a very, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Martin Buber is. I apologize, I don't. That's fine. I, I, I don't expect people to know it, but uh, he was, his ideas were some of the um, theoretical foundations for my dissertation. And it turned out that my dissertation confirmed uh, a bit of this very, I'm going to give the very simple idea. If people want to read more about it, go for it. It's very interesting. But it's this idea that whenever you have a relational encounter, whether there's power involved or not, but particularly when there's power involved, in this case, an educational encounter that you're talking about, there is the opportunity to have the person, say the instructor in this case, interact with the group as objects or as people. Ooh. Okay, so there's a oh. and there's a very big difference between the two, as I'm yes. sure you yes. guys are already considering, right? So much right wow. now, it hurts. I have to so, unpack this. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so when you stand, so I'm going to say me here because I've done this so many times. So when I stand in front of a classroom, and when I when I stream, right? Like when either of, when any of the three of us stream, right? Like I go live and I'm in front of a group of people. Language becomes deeply important in the way that I am going to show up in that space. If I see that space as I am teacher, you are student. I am viewing that as me to object. Okay. And what that means is there is a certain set of expectations of what it means to be an instructor. And there's a certain set of expectations of what it means to be a student. And some of those things are dictated by what has been handed down this is where the this is how it's always been um, mantra comes in right which right. is that teacher is a person in a position of power we tend to equate people in positions of power as people who inherently deserve respect and so if you go into that encounter with this idea or this role that i am an instructor that inherently deserves respect by virtue of being an instructor and you are a student who is in a subordinate position, I am going to interact with you based on that conceptualization, right? Correct. Now we have, a, we have a separation between the two of us just by language and role. So if I don't see, let's say I come into the first class and it's time for class to start and the class is still talking to each other and, and they're taking a while to die down. If I view that space as teacher-student, I'm going to demand silence and I'm going to demand that that space be what I need it to be in order to fulfill my role as teacher. And what we know is that, you know, back in the day, that might have worked because, again, generational differences. You, if you grow up in a period where that is something that you have learned to conceptualize as you shut up when you're in class like this because that's, the, that's how it goes, 
it, then people are going to shut up. But if you come up with an idea different than that, which is that I need to know that you care about me as a human before I'm going to listen to what you have to say, you have to view this encounter differently. So if I go into a classroom and I instead go take the I thou approach of me and a and people, I walk into that classroom and I say, you know what, in this classroom right now are 31 humans and I am one of them. There are roles that dictate a little bit of how this dynamic is going to go. Obviously, I'm the person that's going to teach the class, but ultimately, I have to connect with you as a person before you are going to connect with me and before you're going to trust me to guide you through this encounter and through learning. And I, I'm not going to soapbox on this unless you guys want me to at some point, but like learning only happens in the context of anxiety. You don't learn without anxiety. And if you have learned Ooh. that the way that you navigate anxiety is through emotional support of that anxiety and validation of that anxiety, you're going to need an instructor who passively validates that anxiety in the way in which they approach you. And doing so through a I thou approach of like me to people allows me to connect with you a little bit more on that level where I show up on the first day of class and I go, you know what? I'm sure that you all are probably nervous about how this class is going to go. You don't know anything about me. Uh, perhaps you're here for a variety of reasons and you have different expectations of me as your instructor. And so I see this as a bi-directional thing. I want feedback from you in the same way that you're going to want feedback from me. And at any given point that I'm teaching, I am reminding myself, I'm talking to a group of humans who have emotional needs on top of their academic needs. Are those emotional needs more important than the academic needs? Not necessarily, right? Because we do right. need to learn. I do have to do my job, but I do have to take it into account. Thank you. And if that's going to happen, and if I do that, now I'm not in a position to demand respect so much as I am in a position to facilitate respect. And that's an entirely different way of navigating that space. That's amazing. Because yeah. that's what it felt like is that literally, it's not like they had to come over and, you know, they lean in and say, hey, hey, Jen, I respect you. <laughs> they teach? Oh, yeah. you're the best. But you could just feel it. You could feel it with how you would even, when you would ask a question or when they were to respond to a question, you could feel the difference in dismissiveness because you asked a question, obviously, that somehow missed the mark, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when they when you actually answered it, you could see them light up. Like, they were so happy that you're connecting with what they are teaching. And hopefully yeah. by you speaking up, it's creating others to be like, oh, that's his perspective on learning this. You know what? I want to add to that. And mm -hmm. those teachers, let me tell you, like, I, I, I don't forget, like, even like every little bit about th their face, their their mannerisms, the, the, yep. what they would wear to, to class, you know, all, all different garbs, folks. So don't worry about that. But like, <laughs> literally, like they were just so it, it, I, I could picture because they made an impact without necessarily going having to go out of their way. Maybe they didn't. I don't know how they personally deal with those kinds of things, but it just felt so good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there, They'd be someone when I would graduate, I would go to look for them and thank yep. them because yep. they made that kind of impact on me. And I can even reference it to this day. I don't want to date myself, but 2009 is a long time since I graduated. God. And that, <laughs> Let's not no. talk about it. Please, yeah. please, no, oh. please. I haven't thought about that in a really, really long time. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, I can rem I remember them because they made that positive impact. Yeah, I remember someone that made negative impact, but I don't have nice things to say, so I try not to talk Same, about them because yeah. it's very, you know, it's my personal negative experience yeah. with it, and it's not fair to them per se. But I'm like, why? But I feel like there's too often of that. So th that was really good. That thank you yeah, for that uh, insight so. on that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really think the. Uh, anxiety as part of learning is something that everybody needs to understand whether That's you're whether you're a parent mm -hmm. helping your kids learn things whether you're a teacher helping your students learn things whether you're a friend helping a friend learn something right like if you're how many times have the two of you been frustrated trying to learn the sequence to to uh speed run something <sighs> right like uh, you don't you don't just uh, you, you 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 get inherently like and and that that anxiety and frustration doesn't have to be a bad thing necessarily right yeah. but like I I mean I've watched both of you stream and I you know I fondly watched your Vector Man streams as you know yeah. General Andrews <laughs> um, but I um you know like there are times where you might hit a sequence and it doesn't go the way you thought it might and there's a level of frustration that happens there well if there's You're an right. instructor yeah. involved in that space the the instructor as a person who's scaffolding that process or as somebody who's trying to provide some level of support has to recognize the emotion of that mm -hmm. has to has to recognize that there is going to be an emotional intensity to this that is not bad that is in fact useful mm. because okay, it shows good. a level it shows a level of engagement it shows a recognition that maybe something was missed or maybe that there's something to be learned and that that provides an opportunity for us to look at that and go huh it's interesting that you got frustrated there as opposed to you know maybe there's a sequence where you mess it up and you go oh yep i know exactly why that messed up so uh, i can go back and reset i hit that reset button and yeah. boom, we're off to the races again, as opposed to, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm learning this. There's, it's a different kind of anxiety. Yeah. And people learn better and are, I mean, quite frankly, more connected and attached, as you're describing, right, to some of these instructors, mm -hmm. to people who recognize that and, and do not use that as ammunition to pull power uh, or to to hurt or shame a person and instead use that to say you know what it's okay you get to be frustrated but we're going to power through here and we're going to we're going to make it work oh my goodness when you say that it actually now makes another thing just clicking open in my brain you know the difference in being like a personal trainer that that same exact mm -hmm. explanation you just gave that dynamic exists and so when if i was to evaluate a good personal trainer versus someone who needs a career change or maybe a shift in their perspective hopefully is that yes they would use the power dynamic the ones i i don't prefer as a personal trainer would use the power dynamic to shame or guilt or to mm -hmm. embarrass their clients into doing said activity and as mm -hmm. we've as we know, and I've known for all the years that I've been a personal trainer, ruling and running someone's health via fear is a finite line before they're like, okay, I don't care now. They, oh, they, yeah. Apathy is going to be the coping mechanism 100% of the time in that. I, like, I've seen that so often where apathy hits. And that's so for myself, you know, I. I'm not, a, I am a raw, raw guy a little bit, you know, but I'm not, I'm not some guy that's going out there and yelling. What I'm trying to do is make them understand 
what they are capable of doing and that they just applied themselves in a different way or a different perspective that wasn't allowing them to accomplish their goal. Mm -hmm. Because, you mm -hmm. know, they were taught one thing, especially depending on how old they are, different generations taught fitness way differently and they were wrong. They didn't know better, but they were wrong. And now they have to unlearn all of those years of really bad techniques that were taught because they, the original teachers thought it was such the right way to teach them. Yeah. And yeah. so, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that just like it clicked to me. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Okay, cool. I just didn't have it in that same, you know, viewpoint. Yeah, learning, learning theory is, I mean, a lot of learning theory is really predicated on how do you move a person through the frustration of learning so that they do not give up. That's I so mean, it, it's really, I, I love learning theory a lot. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the idea of the zone of proximal development for anybody who wants to read more about this stuff. Uh, it's, I actually have a quick plug on YouTube. I have an entire lecture about learning theory if people want to hear more about this. Uh, but the, plug uh, it. Plug it. <laughs> the plug learning, it learning theory, learning theory is fascinating and it is. And, and so, you know, in some ways, maybe to connect it a little bit with this idea of respect, respect is a learned thing you know if we go back to talking about it as a very complex concept you have to learn what it is you also have to learn how it's how it's built how to recognize that a person is worthy of respect how to change your expectations of respect is on the fly as needed but you have to learn these things so to make demands of a thing that a person has not had the opportunity to learn and conceptualize is unfair in the same way that if you if you told me to sit down and speed run Chippendale and do it and do it right the first time, I'm going to fail. Oh, that's I'm glad you bring that up. That's exactly right. Because a lot of people, when they even think about speedrunning, their their fear is that doing it at the expectation of the person they enjoyed watching it of. Yeah. If yeah. that person comes in, they were doing great, and now that person speaks up. Like, there's times where I won't say anything in chat when I'm watching someone do a speedrun that I was already doing, and that might have inspired them to start doing that run, because what happens is they go from doing it, but now their expectation has changed. Like, oh, the, the, the god gamer's here. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. You know, I'm not doing it as good as you. It's like, no, you don't have to just play. I want to watch you play. <laughs> right. You play. Just, right. Just play the game, somewhere along, Somewhere <laughs> along the lines the idea and i don't know i would love to know what the answer is i don't think we'll ever find out what it is but this is more of a, this is sort of an observation somewhere along the lines we removed the idea that development is important in achieving skill and i attribute maybe some of it to technology and to social media because you tend to now you see really like the culmination of hard work as opposed to mm -hmm. the hard work itself and there's a lot more representation of the, the best of the best. But somewhere along the line, we have taken out the idea that you actually have to work really hard to do things and that that work is something to be celebrated. That that work, if you're going through the process of development and learning a skill or, or learning a concept, there's nothing weak about that. That's not a reflection on what you don't know. That's a reflection on the fact that you have things to learn and that learning those things and putting the work in will eventually get you to the spot that you want to be and we should and to and we should be celebrating that but somehow we have this idea that like if you want to do something that somehow wanting to do it is enough to get it done and i it's it's a very frustrating space to occupy or to it's a it's a frustrating thing to see 
because you we we know that you have to put work in you have to go through the anxieties of these things you have to you have to build upon a skill set before you're ever going to get to any level of mastery and so mastery is to be celebrated for sure but i really wish that there was more of those like behind the scenes videos and you know like documentaries of how people go yes. along the journey that they go along because i find it fascinating of like how did you get from a point of zero mastery because nobody comes out automatically an expert at anything like right. how'd you go from zero mastery to absolute mastery what was yeah. that pathway what were your what were your stumbling blocks what were the moments where you had to we had to rely on that discipline like what what got you there and, and I, I wish we'd put a little bit more excitement into that process than just the output. I'm uh, so glad you said it. So before we start capping towards our, our final little segment here mm -hmm. is that one of the things I thought was so important about what you were just talking about is that I like to use Gary Vee as an example here is that he got brought on to the Ellen show. This is already after he'd been doing YouTube for like six, six years at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And you know, one, one of her questions to him was, so what do you attribute to being an overnight success? He laughed at <laughs> I don't even know about this, and I already know where this is going, I think. Right? He laughed at her only because he's like, what do you mean an overnight success? I've been doing this for, you know, YouTube specifically for six years, but I've been doing this exact grind for about 12. You know, like, <laughs> you all just assume that it is an overnight success because you never heard of me until something went viral. But right. I've been doing this for years and years, and it's not going to stop, you know? And, and then so he went on this whole uh, tirade just trying to get across the idea that people need to realize that person who's an overnight success more than likely is not an overnight success. You are just the one who has now realized their ability you've to be successful. You've just seen them, right? Yeah, you've noticed them overnight. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you it? go to the YouTube channel and go look at how many countless videos have, you know, 20 views on them. Yeah, yeah, you go back and look and see 2014. It's like, oh, only 20 views. 20, you know, 2015, 45 yeah. views, and then now start to cater yeah. upwards. Well, there was that guy on Twitter, the guy who does the remixes on the bass, right? And mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. asked him why doesn't he do full remixes, and he's like, guys, on my YouTube channel, there's 32 full remixes of songs on there. <laughs> like, there takes, it. it takes a lot of time and effort but you guys just yeah. noticed me from the small clips and those are easier to do so that's why we do lots of those <laughs> yep yeah you guys just noticed me now though <laughs> and i'm glad that you're bringing that up especially because in the the context of the content creation space i think this is also something that we need to address at least a little bit because we're all three content creators you know of varying different uh styles but at the same mm -hmm. time we all have a lot of very similar ideals and at least ethics that we handle for ourselves so again expecting respect i've seen this from larger maybe more popular even the word famous uh individuals when another person wants to collaborate with them now granted maybe the form that they use to communicate to try to uh, instigate a collaborative effort might have not been the best choice but what i've seen a lot is that this peer-to-peer -peer or even business-to-business -business situations that is there a different way that these expectations can be handled between individuals because it feels hard like i don't know about yourself dr mick but i know myself and flip and flip can speak up on this real quick of it's been hard sometimes you really want to start to, to work with other people and you get a lot of you worked with them once or they won't even work like listen to you they won't even like respectfully decline you know yeah. they might come up with a way of stringing you along because they don't want to say no it's, so it's, how do we yeah go ahead man it, well i was just gonna say it's weird because everybody comes out so sickeningly sweet is how mm -hmm. i would put mm -hmm. it 
and like wants to be your best friend and then it's it's like two weeks later it's like oh well who are you i don't right. know i don't know who you are anymore i kind of forgot <laughs> and then it just gets frust- <laughs> it gets frustrating at times because it's like sure it's like we know we're like you know middle to smaller creators you would say in the space or whatever and then man like you don't want to demand the respect right because we know how much work we put into our channels and i assume they've done the same right? yeah, and they've done the same right but then it's like well how can you just look down on us <laughs> so so how would someone want to bridge those gaps in a proper medium again be it if you are someone who needs to let someone down because you don't want to collaborate with yeah. them or you would like to collaborate with someone bigger than yourself how, how do we break this down because i feel like there's so many missed opportunities that peer-to-peer content creator content creator we could really make a difference huh um it's interesting because as you guys are talking about this and asking i i don't know well, I guess so. I guess respect plays a role in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's oh boy, it's Ooh, more of a commu- it's more of a communication him. thing. Like I, because here's the thing: like there, we you can respect a person and what they do from afar without interacting with them directly, right? right? Like I, I, yep. I'm sure each of us can name probably five people we've never met, but we respect because of what they do and what they put out, and we have an appreciation of that. So I think in the direction of like, if you want to collaborate with, say, a bigger or more well-known person or people, I think it's important to have realistic expectations around your initiation of that. Ah, that's good. And, and here's the thing. You can't, none of us can control the response we get from another person. Absolutely. The only yeah. thing that we can control is how you approach and what you say and whether you actually do it. I, I mean, I would say probably the number one thing that prevents people from uh, getting collaborations with people they respect is they just are too afraid to ask. Right. But That's the, a good point, but, yeah. but it, let's say you have, you have crossed that Rubicon and you are, you are now initiating it. I think you do have to keep your expectations realistic that there is a chance that that person is going to say no. And there's a chance that that person may say no respectfully. There's also a chance that that person may say no in a way that does not particularly feel great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that does not, that is not me giving a person an excuse or an okay to be a dick. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but, Good but I do want to say that if you approach a, content creator who's bigger than you are and they treat you like a dick you probably don't want that collaboration anyway like good information then right you've you've learned it's it's excellent information it's it it shows i mean one of the it's there's the old adage right like you can tell the character of a person by how they treat service people yeah Uh, oh yeah and like how how you treat people who are maybe subordinate (laughs) to you uh, particularly in a position where you where you have power right i, I think it yeah. says a lot about a person and how they do that yeah, and how they how they respond years. yeah <laughs> seen it all <laughs> so <I've been> around. <laughs> so again it, it's a it, you can only control the way that you approach i i think if you approach it if you know your content's good you approach confidently 
you are and recognizing you are not guaranteed a yes and that the no i think you have to depersonalize the no until shown otherwise and what i mean by that is there's a good chance that the number one reason that person is not going to say yes and is in fact going to say no is because they just don't have the time right right like i would love to collaborate with every single person that wants to collaborate with me and the fact mm -hmm. is i just don't have the time so i have you know i have to start prioritizing what i do and who I, who I collaborate with and who I choose not to. And sometimes it's a, not at this time, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's like, hey, I, I, need you, I need you to establish yourself a little bit more, or I need a little bit more of a better approach. Like, you know, you have to, you gotta pitch this a little bit better to me. I, I, I will say that your pitch is super important. I have, as I'm sure the two of you have had, some incredibly horrible pitches come my <laughs> yeah. way. Ooh. Uh, where you where you look at it and I, and honestly I don't even mean this by like content creators because I think for the most part content creators who approach are you can you can get the idea of what they're what they're going for and what they're asking for yeah. but my god are some like potential sponsors oh, awful worse oh my god Hello, so like insert streamer you, name here you have got to do your research on who you are approaching. It cannot just be, I'm approaching you because you're bigger than me, or I'm approaching you because I love what you do. There has got to be a understanding of who and what you are collaborating with. Like, Great. right? Like if you're, because you know, for example, if, if, if I get approached by, so let's say like a brand or like a smaller content creator, it is obvious almost immediately if I'm being approached just because of my numbers and credentials, as opposed to if somebody shares the vision of what I'm trying to create in my channel. Excellent, excellent point. Oh my gosh, because I mean, I'll take a quick example here is I, I get emails all the time for companies trying to pitch me their FPS games. Mm hmm. Which is and, unbelievable to me. If you look at all my content, one's <laughs> you're the last person I would pitch that to. I'm just saying. And all you have to do really is like when they and then you read the emails, they said they, they love what you're doing with your stream and your brand. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, did you double check the everything? Because I don't think I'm your target here. And they're like, oh, sorry about that. And it's like, come on now. It's like, too many pixels. That's not cool. You, you right. know, <laughs> it's too many pixels. At all. But that's yeah, the, so that's the thing though, right? That's the thing is it to to really simplify and answer your question, you show respect. To a person that you approach no matter how big or small by doing your homework on them yeah right like show that you've put some time into understanding who and what you're approaching i would never approach you with a first person shooter <laughs> thank you i never thank you. I, that's, it's <laughs> unbelievable to me that that jesus like would never do that be, and like i mean you very well could play them offline for all i know but like you certainly don't when you're crowd facing. So, <laughs> no, man. I, I, so like this man I, barely to, knows how to use a mouse. To <laughs> me, that actually show. Uh, to be completely honest with you, I actually think in some ways that that shows a level of disrespect. Yeah, that no, shows absolutely. that shows that like I have not actually taken the time to understand who you are and why you're doing this. You ask probably ninety five percent of streamers or content creators, why do you create your content? And I pretty much guarantee you that there is like a really cool answer. Yeah. That there is like, 
there is something that that person wants to do. Even if it's something along the lines of like, you know what? I just love hanging out and chilling out. And sometimes it's fun to just, you know, talk to talk to a couple people while I'm playing because it adds an extra. And I think here's what here's what I think I add. Right, like it can even be that simple. It doesn't have to be something big and grandiose, like I'm trying to destigmatize mental health or anything like yeah. that. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. But the respect there is taking the time to either do your homework and try and get an idea of what it is by watching what that person does and consuming some of their content, or asking them that question. Hey, I'm really curious. Like, what drives you? What is it about? Like. I've been watching your streams and I love what you do and I don't have all the full context for why you do what you do, but I know that I love it. And I'm wondering if maybe you could just tell me a little bit about why you do what you do. If you have the time, like even that I think is better. You just pitched the best pitch I've heard in years since I've been doing this thing. Seriously. (laughs) Right. Like, because we love talking about this. I, every raid that comes into my channel, I say the same thing. Right. Like I love sharing with people why I do what I do. And in the same way that I'm, you guys do, right? Like you create content for a reason. You do this podcast for a reason. It's, it's not like you guys do this podcast because you're like, we're bored and like listening to ourselves talk. Like you, you do this because you're trying to accomplish something. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I'm not here just to record and edit it. No, absolutely not. No. Yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta love the peanut guy. No way, man. Yeah. I'm just the oh. guy. I'm I'm the the old guys, right? The Muppets up in the yeah. You're the glue guy. The, yeah, yeah. I'm up there. I'm up there. <laughs> laughing down there. It's great though because, dude, when you interject, people listen. You know, me and Je- me and General Andrews are just sitting here shooting the shit. You know, you you, you pop in, people are like, oh shit, Flip's talking. Hold on, hold on. Turn down, turn down the radio. Yeah. So, it, but I. So again, that's in the direction of, I think, smaller to bigger. That's, I think, I, like I that, think yeah. the, the way that you show respect, it be, again, it comes down to the, it's the, it's the me and people as opposed to me and object. Like, like if that. a, if It'll a small, per, if a smaller streamer comes to me, first of all, if I'm, if I am qualifying a person by their quantitative data, I'm already missing the mark. Thank you. I'm already oh, missing yeah. the mark. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's all like, if I look at it, I go, well, you know, you only have five followers on, you only have five people watching you at any given stream. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we were there, yes. you know, like it, it's, it, so <laughs> to look down on that, I think is ridiculous. But now that said, there may be certain collaborations that come at you that based on all that you have going on, it's just not feasible. I would, I would, like I said, I would love to collaborate with everybody that comes my way. It's just not feasible to do that. So the way I think you show respect is one, take just a second to recognize how cool it is that you have been approached. Yes. Right. Yeah. How cool is that? That I, I am at a point where people want to talk to me. People Mm -hmm. want to reach out to me. I, as I said to both of you the last time I did this, and as I said to you guys when we when we started this Discord call, I am grateful that you guys want me on this show. I, I took a second when you reached out to me the first time and the second time and thought to myself, like, wow, like, damn, Ryan, that's pretty cool. General Andrews and Flippity Flam want you to be on two players in a podcast, not just once, but twice. That's pretty neat. You must be doing something right. 
So first of all, recognize that and appreciate that. If you have to say no, just be honest. I'm sorry, I don't have the time. Nailed it. Yeah. You know, I, I love what you're trying, you know, because like, I love what you're trying to do. I think it's, you know, in my case, a lot of times it's, I love that you're trying to talk about mental health and that that's something that's important to you and that you share that passion with me. I just can't do it. Or be realistic about like, if you can, um, but also I believe in telling people the reasons why you're saying no to things. Yes. Um, yes. To, yeah. to like, I, I just, I think, I think you owe it to people to do that. Even if it's, I mean, unless it's like very obvious that they're just completely missing the mark on you and didn't take any time, in which case mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you ex extra time. But like, if people really take the time to reach out to you and be vulnerable, because first of all, that's also an act of vulnerability, recognizing that vulnerability and giving a little bit of that, I think goes a long way. Put some karma in the bank and you never know. Uh, you very well could be surpassed by that person someday and then you're going to really kick yourself for the fact that you didn't collaborate. So I think it's, it's then, you know, it's recognizing saying, hey, I really appreciate what you do. If you can do it, but not at this time, it's, it's not, not at this time. Trying to give some level of timeline. I admittedly am not the greatest at this, but I try now especially to be as mindful as I can about telling people like, hey, I can't do it now, but if you want to do it down the line, I'm booked. I, I'm open to doing this down the line if you're willing to wait. Cool, right? Like yeah. that, that works. So, but it's just, it's two humans talking. And so at, if, if I'm sitting in a bar and I don't know who that person is, all of a sudden the amount of followers they have on Twitch doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and so I can, I can have an exchange with you and it be a very human exchange and I can set boundaries. I can say no, I can say yes or whatever. But I really think that's where the respect of all of this is. Like, I, I don't think that just because a person has 350,000 followers on Twitch and you know i have ten thousand. i don't believe that that inherently makes it so that that person deserves more respect than i do i think that that person certainly is going to probably have more recognition that person's probably worked their ass off to get there mm -hmm. in whatever mm -hmm. way they have i can respect that but ultimately i think no matter how big or small every person deserves the same amount of respect so we, you can sort of level, I think it's just, it's a leveling of the playing field, but also recognizing that like, there are going to be demands on a person whose time is stretched more and that's not personal and depersonalizing that conversation as best you can. But I was a little all over the place, but I hope that kind of touched on it. That, that was great, right? I mean, we respect you and that's why we want, wanted you on the show, for example, especially for a second time. And I, I know Flip can go ahead and concur on that. Oh, that's fantastic every time. <laughs> I just you wish know, we were all I on love, Mars, you right? Guys, it's fun. <laughs> like Mars has like what, like a forty-two hour day? We need to all be on Mars. Yeah, right. Almost double our day. That would be great. But you know, also before jump we a little double higher there. our day, let's let you try to do a plug earlier. But we, we always save a segment at the end so that you can plug all your stuff so people can sit and write it down and not try to like, oh, I had to pause the thing. And so let's go ahead and give them an opportunity. Where else can they find you? We talked about Twitch and I know you talked a little about some other things. Fill them in one more time, please. All right. I'm Dr. McLive on every single one of these handles. Uh, so if you if you search Dr. McLive on any of them, you'll find me. But Twitch is the main place. I stream. I try to stream. <laughs> Six days, six nights a week. Uh, I stream at 9.30 p.m. Pacific time. And I usually go till anywhere between 1 and 3 a.m. And uh, I 
We play all sorts of games, talk about mental health, psychology, therapy, and more in an effort to destigmatize those things and bring information to people who wouldn't otherwise have it in a responsible and ethical way. In addition to being on Twitch and being live on Twitch where you can interact with me directly, I also have a YouTube channel. YouTube is where I have what are called mental health tidbit clips. They're 30 seconds to about two to three minutes long. They come out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They cover a whole variety of mental health subjects. They're just like a quick little, like, little, little mental health dopamine hit for your mm. day. And uh, some of them are going to be relevant to you. Some of them aren't. But my hope is that maybe you'll learn a little bit through those. I also have available on my YouTube channel different lectures that I've done that I've adapted from when I used to teach and also have just created specifically for Twitch. Talk about all sorts of different psychological concepts that I am uh, comfortable enough saying I'm an expert to teach on Twitch. I also have interviews with various mental health professionals, uh, the most recent one being with a board certified psychiatric pharmacist. And uh, there's some other ones that are there uh, to help for your own edification. And you can catch playthroughs of certain games. I've started to uh, put those on there. So like the Mass Effect run that I'm doing, for example, you can catch from part one where I'm going to be doing part 19 tomorrow, but we're, we've, we've got the reruns there. I also have those clips available for you on Twitter and on Instagram, and then TikTok, uh, where if you want to get in before it blows up, because it seems like it's getting close to doing that, uh, you can get in on TikTok where we post different clips from the streams that illustrate various psychological concepts. Right now, that's where you can find some of these Mass Effect clips that we were talking about earlier. Uh, it, it's basically like good, responsible, ethical mental health information to your social media of choice on the daily and I do it all for free. There's no paywalls, none of that stuff. My goal has always been to make sure that the expertise that I have is available for free to anybody who needs it. I, I don't like the idea that this stuff is locked behind paywalls and is very inaccessible to people. I want it to be as accessible as possible. And so the, my best way to reach you is through social media and that's what I do. So it's Dr. McLive on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And I want to give a shout out to my boy, Sean, who does all of the video editing for those because I would not have the content out there that I have without him. So a uh, big shout out to Sean, Sean, Sean H. at Hand Productions for getting that shit done for me. Beautiful. Thank you for your time, Dr. Mick. And gentlemen, can I just say in, in, in the spirit of today's topic, I have an immense amount of admiration and respect for the both of you and what you do. I love the podcast. I love the content that both of you create. It is an honor and privilege to be invited to be on your podcast and to chat with you guys. And I am, am very grateful for it. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this and to bring me on for it in the same way I know you appreciate me taking the time to do it. Uh, it's, it's so much fun talking to you guys. So thanks for bringing me on. And thanks for listening to those of you who listened to this and got all the way to this point. Yes, thank and you. Flip. Thank you for being here too, my dude. Always appreciate chatting with you, even if you are all the way up in the, uh, uh, what you might call it, the little s corner of the the theater and then just throwing popcorn I'm just kernels. Throwing at popcorn, people. man. <laughs> but again, thank popcorn. you for being here too. Yes, so, thank you. With that being said, Dreamers, thank you for listening. Flamly as always. And bye bye. bye, -bye.